So we are actually concluding this series this morning upon this rock. We started this several weeks ago as we started looking at the life of Peter, of the disciple Peter. He was one of the 12 disciples, um, and he was anointed by God um, and in a special way, right? And Peter was not just one of the 12. He was part of the inner three. Jesus had the 12 that he, he had, you know, hung out with, taught them lots of lessons and miracles with, and, and took them in lots of places. And Jesus also had an a, a, a inner three disciples, right? A Peter, James, and John that he spent extra time with, that he poured um, extra attention into and, and taught them different lessons even beyond the other 12. And, and yet that's where we started here several weeks ago as we looked at the person of Peter and, and his, his experience with Jesus at some of those lessons that we looked at his personality and, and some of his shortcomings right, that we can all identify with and, and yet how God saw something in Peter that, that he knew would take the New Testament church where it needed to go. And we started with this verse in Matthew 16, 18, which is the theme of this series that says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Again, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 as, as he speaks over Peter, right, and, and tells him, hey, that, that you have a very significant role in God's plan of saving the world. And that role is that you uh, will lead the first church, right? New Testament church. And and we see uh, that that Peter goes from this moment, and in fact, literally just a few verses later, I mean, he's literally reprimanded by Jesus. And we can all identify with Peter in that, that he messes it up, right? And we've all messed up our own lives, haven't we? We've all made decisions we regret. And yet, God still looks at us and says, but you're still worth it. I still see potential in you, right? I still want to, to use you and your personality and all your quirks and all your, your strengths and all your weaknesses, and I want to take all of that and just continue to, to conform you by my spirit and to anoint you to be used for God's glory. Yeah, in, in the midst of this, we see this, this, this personal investment into Peter that that again, that God puts on, on every follower of Jesus. Right? But we also see this promise right in this verse. Okay, the, the, the promise of the church. And again, the church is not a building. The church is not a, 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 a business or an organization. The church is God's people. And the church is not just Oregon Trail, and it's not just any of our other specific churches, right, in our community. This is the big C church. And God continues to build his church today. And this promise of the church, right, is that the powers of hell will not conquer it. Because guess what? We can already read to the end of the story. We can read the last chapter. Okay, God's already shown us that, and guess what? God wins. God wins. And no matter how crazy or chaotic our world feels, that promise does not change. God still wins. 
And, and we see, again, that promise, that anointing over, over, over Peter. And then we've looked at these last several weeks at this, this journey that Peter goes on with Jesus. And, and as, as he's taught different lessons, and as, as Jesus pours into him and, and helps him when he struggles, and, and when he opens his mouth and inserts his foot, Jesus corrects him. Right? When he acts first and thinks later, right, Jesus saves him. I mean, Peter was the only one to jump out of the boat right, when Jesus was walking on the water. And guess what? He sunk. But Jesus picked him up. Right? We, we see all these things about Peter, all these lessons. And then we see this, this anointing, this prediction over Peter come true in Acts 2.41. This is after Jesus has rose again, right? after he appears to, to hundreds of people several different times in his resurrected body and state, and, and then he ascends to heaven, and then from there he tells, he then passes the baton of leadership on to the apostles, and he says, now is time to build the church. And in Acts 2, this is right after Pentecost, right, after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all believers, and, and then there are literally thousands come to Jesus in one day, and and we see in Acts 2.41 who the leader was in that moment. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Right? And this in itself was an incredible miracle, right? And this was the start of the church that we know today. Again, the body of believers around the world. And it just went from there, right? And God, God continued to bless not just Peter, but other New Testament leaders and, and, and anointed people as they shared the gospel and spread the church literally to the ends of the earth. And, and we are all benefit, beneficiaries of that, right? Because we're here today. You know, we can look back through the, the church history and, and all of the, the anointed leaders and the, the miracles, the power of God, and, and even the struggles of the church. Right? And see God's victory. And as we see that, right, here we are today on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday. And as we look at the resurrection, this is one of the few miracles that is described in all four Gospels. Right? We have four different versions of Jesus' life in, in Scripture. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and all four Gospels describe the resurrection. Now this morning, we're going to look at two of the four versions. We're going to look at Mark's version and at John's version. And they are all slightly different, right, from different perspectives, but they all have the same core details. So this morning, we're going to dive right into Mark's account of the resurrection. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 16. If you're here with us in person and don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. And you'll notice the page numbers included on the outline of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're, we're excited to have you with us. If you have your Bible with you, follow along. If not, you can just listen as I read it. But we're going to read uh, Mark 16, starting at verse 1, where it says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe sitting on the right side. 
And the women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, as we think about this experience, and, and obviously these, these women, as they're going to, you know, to anoint Jesus' body with these burial spices and all these things, right? all the things that they couldn't do, on Friday, right, because of the Passover, right, and because of the Sabbath, because of all these things, right, they were, they were going to, to finish the, the work that was undone, all right, on, on Sunday morning, and yet they, they, we see that, and we can all kind of identify, right, they, they have this purpose in mind, and yet they realize there's some details they hadn't thought of. Right, okay, we have everything, but how are we going to get into the tomb? I mean, this is a pretty important detail, <laughs> right? And yet they hadn't thought of it, right? And yet they show up and realize that that detail, that problem had already been solved, right? That they, that they could absolutely get into the tomb. It just says, right, the, the stones rolled away. They, they ran in, but what they found in the tomb was not what they expected. Right? They expected to find, right, the dead, lifeless body of Jesus. And yet what they found was an angel. You know, again, they found something completely different than they expected. And, and, and they get some instructions, right, from this angel. As the angel informs them of what has really happened, right, they say, I know you're looking for Jesus, but guess what? He's not here. And they're like, well, yeah, that's obvious. He's not here, Right? And they're like, but why he's not there is the most important thing, right? Why he's not there is because he has risen from the dead. He has resurrected. And, and they, they learn this, right? And, and then the angel gives them some instructions. In fact, the angel um, gives them three very specific things to do in response to this, this miracle. The, the first thing that they are told to do by the angel is to, is don't be alarmed. Okay, don't be alarmed. Now, okay, you could imagine in this moment, and, and maybe you, you've been in these moments, right, when things are happening that you did not expect, things that you cannot explain. Right? And, and you're sitting in this moment, and again, our first natural response is, is fear. Because it's unknown, right? It's unexpected. And yet the angel tells him, just calm down. This is a good thing. It might not seem like a good thing, but it's, this is a really good thing. I just take a deep breath. Don't be alarmed. Calm down. And so the first step, right, is just take a deep breath. And no matter what we face, right, we just, in those moments, right, instead of just reacting in, in emotions or or in desperation, or whatever it is, right, in those moments, just don't be alarmed. Right? Again, because how can we not be alarmed? Well, because he's telling me, he's like, no, God's doing something. This is an awesome day. You just don't realize it yet, right? 
Just calm down. Just don't be alarmed. Right? The second thing he tells them is he, teach, he tells these women to go tell the disciples, including Peter. Right? Now, this is, again, significant. I think especially why we're looking even at Mark's version here this morning, right? As you think about the person of Peter, and, and yet we, we know his story, right? Peter denied him three times, right? He was sifted, as Jesus said, right? He was, he had failed just days before. Again, he, he had committed to Jesus that, hey, I will do anything for you. I will even die for you, right? And then his actions were completely the opposite of that just hours later. I, I noticed that, that he says, tell the disciples, including Peter. Right? Because God knew Peter's mental state at this moment, right? God knew his emotional state at this moment, right? God knew Peter's spiritual state in this moment, and he's like, I know Peter needs some encouragement. Right? Tell the disciples, including Peter, right, what you found. And then the third thing is the angel tells him, just do what Jesus told you to do. Okay, Jesus already told you what you need to do. Now you just have to actually follow through with that. Right, his plan has already been laid out, right? Just, and, and it's not in your mind right now, but just think back. And like it'll come back. You'll remember what Jesus told you to do. And just do it. It's that simple. Jesus has already laid out the instructions, right? He's already paved the way. All you got to do is just follow through. Just go to Galilee. Okay, he'll meet you there. And, you know, again, they get these, these three very specific instructions from the angel. And then we see, though, in Mark 16, 8, what they actually do. Right? It says, the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Right? They, they were frozen in fear. Right? And they just ran and did nothing. And you know, we can all identify with that, too, can't we? But we've all been in that moment, right, when we know what we need to do, but we're afraid. Right? And, and, and our natural human response in those moments when we're afraid, right, is the easiest thing to do is nothing. I'll just ignore it. Right? And that's exactly what these women do. And, and again, they, they didn't do the first one, right, which was don't be alarmed, right, don't be afraid. Right? They didn't tell the disciples, right? and they didn't pass on to, to say, just do, what Jesus, you know, just do what Jesus tells you to do. They, they did nothing. They, and, and, and with this said, right, we, can, we can identify with him. Right? We can learn that lesson. Right? And it, is, it is still true for us today, just as much as it was for them and for the disciples and for everybody else at that moment, it, is we have to learn. Don't let fear hold you back from fulfilling what God needs you to do. Okay, don't let fear hold you back. Because God has things you need to do. Right? But yet fear holds us back, right? Don't let fear hold you back. You know, when you really think about fear, and, and, and I would say, especially today in 2022, it's 2022. <laughs> so this is today in 2022, we understand fear, right? Because we think about 2020 and everything that's happened since 2020. 
right? And, the, and literally the last two years, two, three years, our world has changed dramatically, right? And fear has driven a lot of things in the last few years. And, and, and yet when we kind of take, do, even do exactly the first thing that the angel tells the women to do, let's just take a step back and just sit back and, and take a deep breath. Right, and let's just look at what's, who God really is and who we really are and what the, what's really happening in this world. Let's just, and, and the more we can do that, the more we realize how irrational fear is. Right, because think about, right, this is just the, that age-old thing, right, about that an elephant is scared of a mouse. And yet the reality of that moment, right? And when I look at this picture, well, the first reality I realize is that there's no way that chair would hold up an elephant. <laughs> but the, the other thing that we realize, right, is that there's really no, this is unfounded fear, right? Because all the elephant has to do in this moment is step, right? And all fear is gone, right? Like, that's the truth, Because that elephant weighs thousands of pounds and that mouse is tiny. Right? All it has to do is step. Right? And, and it's over. But see, but that's exactly what fear does. It, it, it gets our mind out of what we know is true. Right? And makes us react to things that aren't. In fact, this is this great acronym, right, of fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. And because, again, the angel tells them the first step is just, just take a step back and just look at what's real. Don't be alarmed. Take a deep breath. And the more that we pick apart fear, the more we realize right, where fear comes from. Okay, the fear comes from the enemy. And guess what? Scripture tells us that the enemy is a liar, right? That if his mouth is moving, he's lying. And we see again that I think one of the best weapons of the enemy is fear. And which then we can conclude, right, that fear then is a liar. Because it is. I mean, that's the truth. Fear is a liar. In fact, there's a, a, a popular, famous song by Zach Williams, right, literally titled, Fear is a Liar. If you haven't heard it, Google it, okay? It's, it's good. You should listen to it. Hey, I want to read for you some of the lyrics of this Zach Williams song. It says, when he told you you're not good enough, when he told you you're not right, when he told you you're not strong enough to put up a good fight, when he told you that you're not worthy, when he told you that you're not loved, when he told you you're not beautiful and that you'll never be enough, fear is a liar. Right, everything you just read in those lyrics is a lie. And we think about fear, right? And the, the, again, the, 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 the enemy, the tool of the enemy that uses the fear, right? Scripture tells us, right, the, the opposite, right, of fear. It, Scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 18 and 19, it says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's the fear of punishment. And it shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loves us first. 
So guess what? This is describing God. Right? And God, because there's only one perfect love, and that's the love of God. Right? And that perfect love <laughs> shows us the truth. And that perfect love empowers us to move. And that, that perfect love, you know, shows us who we really are and who God really is. Right? And that perfect love take, casts out all fear. If we have God, we don't have fear. And, and we see again that, that again, the very first step, right, is just don't be afraid. And notice that's exactly what the angel tells him to do. It's like, don't, don't get focused on, on the moment, on, on the fact, you know, of what's happening in front of you. Focus on what God is doing. Okay, and then just do what Jesus tells you to do. <laughs> right, and as soon as we get rid of the fear, then that, that doing what Jesus tells us to do is a lot easier, isn't it? Hey, I want to continue on in the story. Let's, let's look at, uh, flip over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. So just flip to the right, uh, a couple books. We're going to move to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. This is uh, John's account of, of Easter morning. John 20, starting at verse 1. This is early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, and while the cloth that had been covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the, script, the, the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Now as we read this account, we... We see some of this, right? Is this, John is the other disciple, I mean, the one that wrote the, the, this gospel, and he, he goes to great lengths throughout the gospel to never name himself. Okay? But he also is, as we see, very clear that he won the foot race. <laughs> right? And, and yeah, as, as we see this, right, in this interaction we, with John and Peter at the tomb and with Mary Magdalene, it, again, we, we see also that Peter's personality has not changed. Even after all he'd been through, even after failing in the previous days, we see that he's, first, he's still the one that just runs into the tomb, right? I'll do it now and think about it later. <laughs> His personality hasn't changed, right? But yet, everything is changing in this scene for Peter and for John and for the disciples. Because what, is it, what does he say in verse 9? In verse 9, he says, For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Okay, in that moment, right, is where all the dots start connecting. Oh, that's what Jesus meant. Oh, that's what that prophet said. That's the plan. All the light bulbs start coming on. All the dots start connecting. Right, and, and this again is where 
the disciples started to really understand the scriptures. In fact, I outline encourage you to circle the word understood. Yeah, the next thing we learn again from the disciples or from this experience is that there is a big difference between knowing and understanding. They, they, they knew what Jesus had said, but they had no clue the ramifications. Right? Oh, the, oh, oh, he meant he was really going to rise again. Oh, oh, he meant when he said that. Jesus, Jesus meant it, right? That's, that's a part of understanding. And, again, and, and the truth is we can identify with them, right? We know, we can know the things of who God is and know about Jesus. And we can know about Scripture and we can know about Easter. But it's very different to, to embrace it and to understand it and to make it part of our lives. Right? And to... to commit our lives to Jesus because of what we know. And Albert Einstein is famously quoted as saying, any fool can know. The point is to understand. And and this is 100% true when it comes to faith as well. Anybody can know that there's a God. But do we understand that God? Do we understand the plan that God has for me? The plan that he has to save all of us? Again, the disciples here are starting to put all the pieces together. They see what the scriptures say, what Jesus had taught them, and now what they are experiencing, and they all start to come together and make sense. And, and when we, if we're able to move from knowing to understanding, right, then once we understand, it will move us to action. Once I understand, then it, it naturally moves me to action, right? Well, now what's my part in what I know and what I understand? Right? Because when I know it's true, right, when I fully understand it and I see the bigger picture, then, well, then now I must move. I must take a step. Okay, this is exactly what James describes in, in his New Testament letter in, in James 1, verse 22. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Again, I mean, James is literally saying, it's like anybody can read it, right? Anybody can know what it says. But unless you actually live it out and like apply it to your life, you're just fooling yourself. And again, I look at our world and look at our culture and like there's a, we're fooling ourselves in a lot of ways. Again, I'm, I'm a good enough person to get to heaven. I don't need Jesus. Guess what? That's a foolish statement. Because that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says Jesus is the only way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Right, and how can we come to the Father through Jesus? Well, because of his death and his resurrection. Right, and his forgiveness, because he, the blood of the Lamb saves God's people. And just like Peter and the disciples, they're now connecting all the dots and realizing God's plan of redemption. And they now have to act on it. Right? They now have to do what Jesus said. 
And just like them, we must take what we learn about God's word, we need to connect it to our daily life and our experiences, and we need to live it out. We need to actually do what it says. Otherwise, we're just fooling ourselves. And Jesus looks at all of us in love and says, here's your next step. And I'll tell you, if you're here today and if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'll tell you that's your next step. God's looking at you and saying, just believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and be saved. Receive not just your salvation, but receive the Holy Spirit. Receive a restored relationship with your Creator. Receive grace and forgiveness and be washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Join the journey of faith. That's your next step. That's how you act on it. If if you have received Christ as your Savior, right, once you receive the Holy Spirit, then then God gets to work, right, and starts to transform your heart and your mind, right, and he gives us steps to take, and and yet we have to know and trust that every step God tells us to take is one in love, okay, even if they're hard, and they are hard, right, just praying and accepting Christ as your Savior doesn't just make everything perfect all of a sudden, it doesn't. Hey, but growing is hard, and, and God, God gives us steps that, that will stretch us and discipline us and mold us to be more like him tomorrow than we are today. Right? But we just have to trust that what he's doing is in love, right? Because God has promised that he won't lead us down the wrong path. Right? But, but we hold on tightly to our lives. And we let fear hold us back. What if I actually took my faith seriously? What what would that do? And and God's just sitting there saying, but just trust me. I love you. I want to set you free. I have huge blessings for you. But you just have to act. Because God is a perfect gentleman. Right? He will not force himself on any of us. He waits for us to invite him in. And as we, as we see this, right, just we learn from the disciples. We can't just know. We need to understand. And when we understand, we need to move to action. I want to continue on the story in John 21, verses 1 through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. And at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, well, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, he jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. 
Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. And we see this now experience, this interaction, right, between Peter and Jesus. And we see Peter's desperation, right, in this moment. That he knows that he's failed, that he hasn't followed through with everything that he committed to Jesus that he would do. And then yet, they go out and they fish, right? And they, they failed at fishing. Remember, before they left and followed Jesus, I mean, they were professional fishermen. They knew what they were doing. And the, the, again, the lesson we can learn here is that even when you know what you are doing, God's way will turn out better. Right? They knew what they were doing fishing, and yet they still come up empty. And yet God just tells them, right? Jesus tells them, well, just throw it on the other side of the boat. Right? The interesting thing here is to realize they didn't even argue. They just did it. Right? They, moved, they moved to action instantly. Right? And, 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 and God made it turn out better. We see the version of the story again in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 4, 18 and 20, where it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Again, this is actually at the very beginning of the Gospel, right? This is where Jesus first calls Peter. Hey, and notice what he does, right? They were fishing for a living, and then, again, he, as Jesus calls him, he drops and he moves, right? He's moved to action instantly. Hey, and then we see the same action happen here at the end, right? These are the bookends of Peter's experience with Jesus. And then Jesus, though, takes it to another level with Peter, right? And, and so we're going to continue on, right, right here from where, right where we left off. We pick up back at verse 15, John 21, 15. It says, so after breakfast... Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Jesus replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, I, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went where, wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death that he would, that, that he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Yeah, we see here, this is where, again, Jesus finishes the story with Peter, right? This is where, again, he told him, hey, you're going to be sifted, but repent at the end, right? And after that, then I can really use you. Again, here, Jesus asked him the question, the same question three times. Again, we did, and the text tells us that Peter gets angry at Jesus. He gets irritated. He's offended, right, that Jesus would ask him the same question three times, but Jesus is making a very important point, right, by asking him three times. Because, again, G, or Peter denied Jesus 
three times. And if you almost see it, like, why was Peter offended, right? Well, because he offended because he realizes in this moment, right, that, that, that Jesus actually knows everything he did. I mean, he should have already known that, right? But this is where he's understanding it. And he, he realizes that, that there's nothing that, he, that God doesn't know. And yet we learn that God's plan of redemption was motivated by love and it covers all of our sin. That's why he asked him three times. And it covered all of his sin. And all he asks of us is to love him back. God's plan of redemption was motivated by love. He loves you. And it covers all of your sin. There's nothing you've done that will make him not love you. That's what grace is. And, and all he asks of us is to love him back. So how do we do that? How do we love God back? Well, Jesus tells Peter. Or he tells all of us. The way you love me back, just follow me. Just follow. Now again, this is very simple and incredibly complicated. All at the same time. Right? The gospel is very simple. How do we love God back? How do we receive God's love and mercy and grace? Well, we just believe in our heart and confess with our mouth and you will be saved. Right? That's what scripture tells us. It's very simple. But everything that happens after that becomes pretty complicated. Not complicated for God. Right? We make it complicated. Because that knowledge, right, that saving knowledge of Jesus, that surrendering our heart to him, Right? And inviting him into our life, right? Loving him back in that first moment when we join the journey of faith, then it starts a whole bunch of ripples. Right? And we start a new journey, right, of growing and God, of learning more about who he is and, and even of, of learning and reading scripture even through, through the lens of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and then God starts asking us to do more things, right, to move forward and grow in our faith. And even that's pretty simple, but we make it very complicated. Right, because fear holds us back. And as we're here this morning, as we are, are celebrating the most incredible miracle of history, the resurrection of Jesus, we have a choice to make. Will we just know that it's true? Or will we accept it and understand it and be moved to action? We have a choice to make. Again, if you're here today or you're watching online you've never received Christ as your Savior, then today's the day of salvation. You can make that choice. You can just pray and ask God into your life, confess your sin and say, God, I, I believe in you. Save me. Forgive me. I want to join that journey of faith with you. And God will do that. You can surrender and follow Jesus for the first time. But if you have received Christ as your Savior, if you already are a follower of Jesus, we still have to make the same choice. We make the same choice every day. Am I going to be in the journey of faith? Am I going to take the step forward that God's telling me to take? I'm going to be transformed by his spirit. Am I going to be obedient to his commands? 
Like, really do it. Because God knows everything. I mean, he asked Peter three times, right, to prove that fact. You're not hiding anything from God. You're not fooling God, right? As Scripture says, we read that verse, right? We're only fooling ourselves. Again, I don't know where your faith journey is at today, but I hope that you'll move forward. I hope that this Easter will be significant in your, in your story, right? that you will move forward. And my final thought for us today is this. Following Jesus means we believe. We accept his love and grace, and we journey closer to him every day, no matter what. Are you ready to join the journey? Get join the journey for the first time, receiving Christ for the first time today, or joining the journey and saying, I, yes, I, I know God, but now I'm going to take it more seriously. Are you ready to join the journey? Lord God, we sing your praise today. God, we thank you for, for the love you show us through Jesus. God, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, God, we are saved, and we praise you for that today. God, we thank you that you can cast out fear of our lives. God, that we can, can walk with you every day. We can see your power unleashed in our own hearts and minds. God, and in our world, we thank you, God, that you give us a hope with your spirit as we are loved by you. God, and we know that no matter what we face, you're with us, and we praise you for that today. God, we thank you for the victory that comes in following you and surrendering our hearts to your will. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. God, thank you for letting us be a part of your plan to save the world as you continue to build your church. God, as we go today, as we celebrate with our families and in our community, God, may your light shine. God, may we show this world who you are, Lord, by our lives and our faith. And God, help us to live our faith every day, not just on Easter, God, but every day walking with you. We praise you. We love you. Guide us as we go today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.